You're listening to We, we, we the Aether Podcast, within and without. Welcome. Hey, Scott, thanks for taking the time to have this chat today. I really appreciate it. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening or watching this are going to appreciate it as well. You have a lot of valuable information to share around the brain. Uh, and that's actually how I found your uh, content on Instagram. Uh, and I thought that it'd be a great, uh, some great synergy there in terms of the, the content I like to promote as well on my own pages and uh, a lot of what's discussed on this podcast. So just to kick things off, anyone that's not familiar with what it is you do on a day-to-day basis and what you're involved in, do you mind just briefly introducing yourself so they can get brought up to speed? Yeah, absolutely. Look, first of all, thank you for having me. Great to be here. Um, Yes, so my name is Scott Robinson. I am the brain guy. So I go as the brain guy on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, I am an applied movement urology master practitioner, faculty member. So I lecture and teach within that organization. Um, Applied movement urology was the first sort of paradigm that was my that was really my starting point for going into the brain. So when I went into working with the with the brain, those guys throughout this education it's just absolutely mind-blowing like it's just it's a very it's a different paradigm it's a different way of looking at the body so basically what we can sort of say is that everything in the body is underpinned by bioelectricity everything in the nervous system is underpinned by bioelectricity which is not something that say it doesn't necessarily fit congruently or perfectly well with the current scientific model so it just gives you a very very different perspective um, of the brain and the nervous system and of the entire body and of the connectivity, the interconnectedness of systems. Um, so that was just an incredible rabbit hole for me to be able to delve into and sort of dive down. And I've kind of, that was many years ago. And I've never come, never come back out. Um, but so I, I work with the brain. I work with the nervous system. I work with the energetic anatomy of the body, the energy consciousness system of the body. Um, and effectively everything ties together. So the space that I get to work in, is much like the mind it's quite limitless the 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 mind is always so the mind is limitless and the brain is really not that far behind um and so the consciousness that we have sort of set up in our civilization um is somewhat limiting and so we don't necessarily access all that's available so i'm very fortunate i get to work in a space where i get to see that limitless on a limitlessness on a daily basis um and what we can achieve in not just in healing, but what we can achieve in output and just in performance with the body in terms of taking the handbrakes off people and taking the handbrakes off their lives um, is a truly amazing thing. So I feel very blessed to get to be in that, in that space. Mm, Yeah. It sounds really exciting too. anything to do with the brain or neuroscience or neurobiology, anything like that is always really fascinating. What is it that you think puts that handbrake on for people? Uh, you know what I, and, and to further that what do you think it is that would cause people to feel that there's some sort of detachment between the brain and other parts of their body because i feel like some people believe these things to be isolated and not necessarily interconnected yep so i would say when you with when we talk about handbrakes everything that i have read and understood correlates with what i now see when i'm working with people and it sounds it, it's it's a real shift in it's a real shift in thinking it's a real shift in perspective to say it but it comes back to thought. It literally comes back to thought and to beliefs. And so I work now with the subconscious mind, the conscious mind and the superconscious mind. So we have separated the mind into three different levels, but effectively there's just one mind. So, but working with those three different levels of mind, basically the subconscious mind, you could say is 95% of the total amount of processing that goes on in the brain. So total amount of brain processing um, 100% subconscious takes care of about, covers about 95% and the conscious mind covers only about 5%. So what we're engaging with here, you and I, is only about 5% of what's available. So there's a huge amount going on below our conscious level of awareness. Now, what happens in the subconscious mind is the subconscious holds all of these beliefs and these beliefs we create throughout the entirety of our lifespan. So they start from when we're very, very young. And we start, we are born limitless. We're born with no real belief system. And then once we arrive, we, we just start downloading. And that's what children's brains do. The brainwaves don't even hit alpha. Um, so we exist purely in a delta and a theta state up until about the age of seven. Um, and we're just purely downloading. And so when people say that kids are just like sponges, it's literally true because you are literally just downloading all the information that you need so that your brain can try and create the programs that it will then later be able to automate all the processing and all the programming um, in, in your life. And essentially then it can run on autopilot. Once it's got enough programs, it can run on autopilot, which then saves a whole heap of energy. And from an evolutionary standpoint, that ups our survival chances because the brain actually it has places huge energy demands 
um, on the body. So one thing I'm always saying to people, it's a really cool and interesting little fact that the brain is only about 2% of your total body mass, but it places energy demands of around about 20 to 25% of the total energy demands in the body. So the brain demands a huge amount of energy. And for that reason, it's always looking to sort of flick on the, on the autopilot switch. It's always looking to run from the automated programs that it's already got set up. So it doesn't want to have to compute. It doesn't want to have to calculate. It wants to just recognize a situation or even better predict a situation that's about to eventuate and then search through its database, select the correct program, hit run, hit the execute button, and then we just kind of fly along unconscious. So, and as far as your brain, the reason for that, I think it's really important to cover that so people understand why, but the reason for that is that basically your brain evolved without, I always say, without a supermarket across the road, so without a readily available food, food source. So if you didn't have a readily available food source, you had to go out and hunt. And so if you had to go out and hunt, then your brain knew that food wasn't always going to be available. So it knew it had to try and conserve as much energy as possible to increase your survival chances, because if it could survive an extra day or two and give you enough time to hunt and then refuel, well, then your survival chances go up. So it's always looking to try and automate processes. So going back to the deepest thing, which is thought, we download all of these beliefs from others. And when we speak about limitlessness, what we're surrounded by all the time and from everybody is beliefs that are limiting. So along the lines of life is hard, life is challenging, nobody's perfect, nothing's perfect. Um, you know, if something looks too good to be true, it probably is. Um, and there are a lot of sort of self-affirming negative beliefs that we're surrounded by. And so we are born with this limitlessness and that just gets dampened down over time. And we sort of people talk about the illusion that we live within. Um, and that's essentially what that illusion is, that we just we subscribe to the belief system of everyone, of everyone and everything around us. And so by the time we, by the time we get to seven, we've already downloaded a huge number of programs. Um, by the time we get to 30, we've kind of got all the programs that we need to just run completely on autopilot. Um, and essentially then we can just sort of fly along and not look for new experiences. And that's what the brain will try and guide us to. So in my work, what I see is that literally everything comes back to thought and it comes back to untrue thoughts and false beliefs. So if we have untrue thoughts and false beliefs, then if we extrapolate that out, we basically we allow it to sort of carry through to its, to its eventual end, um, that can create disease, it can create dysfunction, it can certainly uh, create reduced output. So what I, find, what I found in my journey is that going in and calibrating all the neurologic circuitry and systems, which I can do, is hugely impactful. But when we look for the root cause of things um, and we delve deeper, a lot of times, more often than not, it just comes down to deep subconscious beliefs. So the beliefs that we have held probably for most of our life. And so a lot of times I work with that. And that is, that is hugely impactful because that takes, that takes the handbrakes off. Those beliefs write the programs and those programs sort of govern our experience of life. It's really interesting. How I'm just wondering, how is it that you feel that, it's seemingly that there's inherently this negative belief pattern that's instilled upon people once they're brought up, kind of like crabs in a bucket sort of thing. Why is it that people aren't sort of instilled with this positive reinforcement, this, this potent, limitless potentiality that, that mm -hmm. should be naturally that individual's birthright, but it seems to just get kind of washed away and, and, and lost in the mix after the age of what you were saying, about seven or so, five to seven, it's kind of like uh, they start to form themselves within after downloading all this information in, in society? Yeah, look, brilliant question. Brilliant question. Um, the brain has a negativity bias. And again, if we look at evolution, we've evolved with this negativity bias in order to keep us safe. So let's take it back many thousand years. If I'm just sort of wandering along through the bushes many, many thousands of years ago, and I hear a rustle in the bushes, if I... If my brain has a negativity bias and I presume that that is the worst case scenario, that there's a tiger or a, let's say it's a saber-toothed tiger, whatever, there's a predator in those bushes. If that's what I presume and my first reaction as soon as I hear that rustle in the bushes is to hit fight or flight and essentially just sprint, move as fast as I can, get myself out of danger. If there was a tiger, 
then I've increased my survival chances. So I've, got, I've, I've potentially gotten myself away. I've, I've saved myself from that situation uh, and I can go on and procreate and I can, you know, I can reproduce and, and the survival of the species can continue. Um, if I have a positivity bias and I hear a rustle in the bushes and I sort of think, oh, you know, that could just be a small child playing or that's a really nice sound and I just sort of sit and ponder on that nice sound for a moment and exist in that moment of positivity, well, if it turns out to be a predator, well, I've, I've just been eaten. So then I don't get to pass on my genes. So the guy who had the negativity bias and survived and didn't get eaten by the tiger got to pass on his genes more often than not. And the guy who didn't have the negativity bias or had the positivity bias sat and existed in that happy moment, potentially got eaten. Um, and so over time, we've evolved with that negativity bias and that helps to keep us safe. So the brain, I always love the quote that the brain... The brain is like Velcro for negative thoughts and Teflon for positive. Um, and it's really true. It's really, really true. So um, we, need to, we need to instill, and again, this is something that I do now, we need to instill those positive beliefs and we need to instill that positivity bias um, into, the, into the mind. And then when, when you do that, then the mind can sort of basically start to create its own programs more based in positivity and we begin to sort of experience more of that limitlessness. Mm-hmm. And do you think, and kind of shifting into my next question here, that the gut and uh, the gut health plays a role in this, and in, in, in emotional intelligence and emotional health as a whole? Uh, and then part of that being the, the food that we have available to us in society, does that play any role on this uh, and, and kind of skew us more towards that, that negative belief pattern that we might uh, get into? Yeah. Yes. Look, I think it does. Look, the, the gut is, the gut's amazing and the gut is an incredible system entirely on its own. But again, it integrates, it's interconnected with everything in the body. So you have, I, I love looking at it this way, that you have 100, you have 100 trillion bacteria, different bacteria in your system, which means that bacteria, these, diff, these foreign organisms outnumber you. And if we talk about brain cells, which brain cells, we have somewhere close to 100 billion neurons we have 100 close to 100 billion brain cells in the body we've got close to 100 trillion different bacteria which is 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 a phenomenal number a phenomenal amount of of foreign bodies um inside us and so they they are controlling more of our mood and more of our emotion than we are so when you think brain cells which we think if we look at neuroscience and the way neuroscience thinks neuroscience believes that consciousness is generated within the brain exclusively within the brain I'm happy to go on record and say I think that's fundamentally not true, but that's what neuroscience, the current neuroscience paradigm postulates. Um, when you think that we've got this gut-brain connection, there's 100 trillion bacteria in our, in our microbiome that are influencing our moods. They're controlling more of our mood than we are. So, yes, I believe food is really, really important. Something that is not necessarily appreciated um, so much, or I think it'll be it'll be increasingly appreciated um, over the coming years, uh, is the influence of light. And so, light. So there's a huge amount of communication that goes on in the nervous system, which is biophotonic. So photons are little packets of light, essentially. So light energy. So biophotons are those packets of light energy within the body. Now, something like forty eight percent of the brain is wired for light. And only about 10% of the brain is wired for food. So for communication via, via food and from proteins, from nutrients that we eat. So when we look into that, you think of the impact that, that light has on our system, the type of light that we get is really, really important. And so that actually plays a huge role in our health and in our moods as well. The food, yes, is very, very important. Um, but also the light that that food, um, that the food receives is also important. So, Everyone's aware, or most people are aware of circadian rhythm, okay? And I think this is a really, really cool little point to cover. So you are living at a latitude. You're somewhere around about 40, 42 degrees, somewhere um, north. I'm at like 33 degrees south. Um, Now, the light that I receive, the the predominant light where I'm living has a a predominant colour on the spectrum. Okay, so that light, depending on the angle that the sun is hitting the earth, has a predominant colour within the spectrum. Now, the food that I eat is also absorbing that same, that same light. So depending on where I get my food, it could have a different, it could have a different predominant colour in the light spectrum. So those photons that the, the food is receiving and the photons that I'm receiving from the sun, 
they need to match. If we're talking about ideal health and, and optimal health, then those photons, the color of those photons needs to match. So if I put, if I'm receiving good light, I'm not existing just in, in false lights. I'm not existing here in, you know, in false light or under fluorescent lights in an office block all day, every day. I need to get out in the morning and I need to see early morning sunlight. I need to see all spectrums of light throughout the day. I need to see the sun, I need to see the sunset as well. And the food that I'm eating ideally should match. It should be grown at a very similar latitude. And that just, that doesn't happen these days. So with globalization and with food, with food supply chains, food can come from anywhere. And so I believe that plays a significant role in our health. So I think as a, as a takeaway, if you're looking for like optimal health and you're looking to sort of make sure that you get the best food, then yes, organic is always great. Organic is always best, but actually look for what's in season. Look for what's in season. Don't eat summer fruits when you're in winter. So you don't need to eat a huge amount of carbohydrates in winter. We haven't evolved that way. We evolved when if you're living in northern latitudes and, um, and it gets really cold, carbohydrates aren't necessarily available. You're eating proteins. That's, that's, again, that's what we've evolved with. So look to that. Look to the latitude that you're at. Look to what's in season. And I think eat seasonally, eat fresh produce, and, yeah, you can have a, a really positive impact on your health and, and on, your, on your emotions. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it goes without saying, avoid the, the fast food and the sugar and all these crazy things. I, I, I did want to quickly touch on that. What is it that sugar does to the brain? Like what kind of impact does sugar have on the brain? I, I've looked at some side by side with like cocaine and sugar to see like their actual effects on the brain. Uh, and they're apparently very similar. And you can kind of get that rush if you've ever had a ton of sugar before. Uh, but then there's this huge crash afterwards and you just feel terrible. So like what, what is it that, that causes that effect? Well, everything in the body wants to, wants to exist in a state of balance. So we have homeostasis, which is balance within the body, and we have homeostasis within the brain. Now, and the brain literally needs, it needs three things. It needs glucose, it needs oxygen, and it needs activation. So it's the glucose needs that the brain has. It, again, it places huge energy demands on the body. It demands a lot of glucose from the body. But if we're going to shunt huge amounts of glucose to the body, then we tip the brain out of balance. And essentially that's the big thing. So if the brain tips itself is tipped out of balance, then it's going to need to do everything it can to try and get itself back into balance. So if it needs to crash as fast as it can so that it can, ju- it can slow down and just allow that rush to pass. And that's essentially what it will do. So it will do whatever it needs to do to essentially to achieve balance. And so if we're going to throw it off balance with, with sugars and then also the one that I always go into with people is these carbonated drinks. And so they're, they're high in, in sugars, they're high in that energy, but anything that's carbonated is going to push that energy into the bloodstream a whole lot faster. So it's, it's delivered. It's the, it's the old glycemic index and the old glycemic load. I haven't actually heard that those words spoken for a while, but they used to be really big back in the, so there were big factors that everybody used to talk about in the early two thousands was the glycemic load and the glycemic index, which was not, so it's not just the amount of sugar, that you're taking in it's the speed at which that that sugar is pushed into the bloodstream and so when you have anything that's carbonated um then essentially it pushes that energy into the bloodstream much faster and then it's essentially like delivering a punch it's like delivering a punch to the brain and so if you deliver that punch of energy to the brain then the brain is going to need to do whatever it can to try and find balance again slow itself right down and that's essentially what it does and that's when you'll you'll feel that sugar low you know the the come down you see kids after birthday parties where they just they, they literally just need to crash and lie down yeah, you know, it's funny that this stuff isn't communicated to people in, in like mainstream media ads and stuff like that. They just show really pretty flowing soft drinks and everyone having a great time and partying and everyone's feeling wonderful. They don't show everyone crashed afterwards and <laughs> feeling awful. Um, because no, that, that doesn't, doesn't sell so well. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, so a part of my routine in the morning is I actually like to, uh, I'll have a glass of water right when I wake up and I'll, I'll actually try and leave it out so it gets like hit by the sun and then I'll go outside barefooted and I'll just kind of take in the air and do some basic movements and whatnot while I drink that water. Uh, and I find that that sets me up for the day really nicely as opposed to when I just wake up, you know, sit on my phone and then immediately go to a computer and sit there, which I've had to do that sometimes you know, because of my actual work and stuff. Um, so I just want to quickly touch on your opinions, because I know you've created some content around it, but your opinion of, um, movement and its effect on the brain, uh, and, and this could be, I noticed in your post, you mentioned complex movements or even simple and novel movements, uh, but how those can positively or negatively impact the brain. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just going to go back really quickly and touch on your routine about getting up in the morning and, and getting early morning sunlight and having the water. Couple of things, so little takeaways, things that you can add to that. 
So you can add emotion to that. We can actually place emotion on water and it, cha it, it, changes, it changes the crystalline structure of water. So essentially the molecular structure of water can change slightly and you get a, you get a positive benefit out of it. So, um, and if you want to test that, um, you can place loving emotions on a glass of water and then, only, and then give that water to a plant. Watch how that one plant grows and then you can place negative emotions on another glass of water give that to a different plant and see how that grows and, and then really quick i wanted to just because I, I actually do this to some degree and I oh beautiful on the i love it this one says um this one says love and gratitude and then i have joy and abundance beautiful uh, and i'll right, one step ahead of me i'll put it on different drinks and stuff like that i've also i have a piano too so i'll also play keys just to see the brilliant uh, you know all the effects of the, the vibrational frequencies on the water um who knows if, uh, you know, the, the actual impact of this, but, you know, even from a placebo level, I feel it, it's beneficial. So that alone, I'll take it. You know, it's, it's a yeah. free thing people can do. And I've only just recently started doing this and I found it to be uh, an interesting process to incorporate kind of just as you're saying. Yeah, look, there are ways that we can demonstrate how it works on the, on the physical body. If you want to, this is a really cool little test that I show people because it generally blows minds because most people, again, within our limiting, limited belief structure, we tend to think that, and the physical nature of the, the physical view. So let's say we exist in a society where everything is sort of physical and material and molecular and, um, and our medical paradigm sort of basically likes to take the body apart. Like it's a, like it's a, a machine. So um, we tend not to think that emotions have an effect. We tend to think that anything that we can't see, touch, feel um, that that doesn't impact on us so much. So emotions affect your, your, your biology on a moment to moment basis. And so placing your emotions on a glass of water actually has an impact. You can demonstrate that in just a range of movement tests. So something that I do and I show people all the time is if you take, and I've put posts out about this, if you take, I like to work with my shoulder, I'll do an internal glenohumeral rotation. You don't even have to feel the emotions. Just think of three happy words. Think of three words that have the happiest connotation for you. So it could be love, peace and abundance or joy, gratitude and abundance, whatever it wants to be. Just say those three words three times and then you watch what happens to your range of movement. So you'll mark your range of movement first. Mine might be, say, 10, 15 degrees. I'll say three happy words three times each and then it'll relax and it'll drop further. I'll say three negative words three times and it'll tighten right up. And so that effect is happening in your, in your biology on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. And so you can demonstrate that. You can see that. You can place that on water and then you can see you can, you can water plants with that same those different as water holding those different emotions and you'll see an effect um so i have absolutely no doubt bruce lipton's done a done a whole heap of work on this sort of stuff so he's an interesting guy to, to yeah, look into biology of belief that's a really really good book i like it yeah yeah so getting you're, you're several steps ahead of me with your glasses of water with labels on them and everything so i, I could be coming to you for, for for information on this um i just love to experiment and uh, i haven't tried the the positive reinforcing thoughts with the movement patterns you know i ha haven't actually tried that mm. stuff because you know typically and this was kind of leading into the, the question i had which uh was I've, I've you know incurred a few injuries over the years through sports and martial arts and all this different stuff and i tend to if i if i working on an area it's very easy for me to slip into, uh, you know, this stupid shoulder all the time, got to deal with this thing or whatever, you know, just, just like treating it as a nuisance, as opposed to, um, you know, I, I, I've done psychedelics before and I've looked at that same body part and I thought, and I thought this is a, a wonderful arm or a wonderful shoulder being a wonderful shoulder, doing a wonderful mm -hmm. job. And I, it's, it's this crazy shift. And all of a sudden I just don't feel the discomfort there anymore. So, um, it is really interesting. I'll try to incorporate that as well with some of the movements because I do get frustrated at times, like just thinking, mm. oh, I got to work this thing again. So we'll, we'll, we'll get a little bit deep for a moment before we get back to the, get back to movement. But what you just touched on there is really profound. So, and we'll, so we'll go, we'll go deep. I, I love this stuff. So the universe is holographic. A hologram basically means that all of the information that is in the, in, in the whole exists in every single little piece of the holograms. doesn't matter how small you break it down. All of the information in the whole is in every single little piece. So you exist in the universe. That means that all of the information in that holographic universe is in you. And then you are a system. You're a hologram as well. So when we break you down, every little piece of you contains all the information of the universe. It contains all the information of the whole. And so in healing, that's what I've been working with for a long time. And it's an amazing thing. It doesn't matter how small you break down the body all of the information is available. So you can touch the body anywhere and you're connected to the entire system. Now, when we're talking about movement, when we're talking about healing, then 
you are an you are an individuated integrated piece of consciousness so if we have one consciousness universal consciousness you are integrated within that but you are individuated yourself as well now that goes the same for your body and this is the mind-blowing shift for people to sort of get their heads around that every body part has a consciousness so if you're talking about your shoulder that shoulder has a consciousness and when you start to talk to it nicely Funnily enough, it can respond. Now, in healing, there's a thing called ninja healing. And so ninja, ninja healing is, so what ninjas used to do. So after battle, um, you know, come back and tending to their wounds, forgive the, forgive the body, ask for forgiveness, give forgiveness to the body, then give love to the body and then wrap and bandage everything up and then with loving emotions, speed up the healing process. So, and there are stories of, there are crazy stories of, you know, ninjas healing from their battle wounds sort of overnight. Um, and so that's something that you can do. You can do that in movement. You can do that in healing. Um, so I, again, working with all kinds of different individuals, I've got one individual who she's had half her brain removed and it's been a really, really lot. It's been a really incredible process to work with and what we've recovered in function um, at her life has completely changed, but there has been several really key moments of things that we've gone into. One of the very biggest, I'd put it top five most impactful things that we've done was go to, go to her brain, treat it as an individual consciousness that had had a surgical wound and had half of itself removed. And when we did that, the brain was in stress. And this was 10 years post-surgery. The brain was in stress. And when we did a stress transformation on the consciousness of the brain, of that organ, then her whole system relaxed. And so her walking improved. Like we did nothing else other than just address the consciousness of one individual organ or what half of what was left of one individual organ um, in that body. And the shift was amazing. So I have, and I, and I see that and do that all the time. So I have no doubt that when you, that in movement, if you speak to the consciousness of body parts and if you speak to the consciousness of the whole, the system will relax. When the system relaxes, then your autonomic nervous system tone becomes more parasympathetic, which means that you can move more freely. So when you're in fight or flight, things tighten up, you can, you can test that with range of movement tests um, and you'll see that. And that's essentially what you're doing when you're doing those happy words and the negative words. Um, but, when you're, but when we deal with that individual, individuated consciousness within the body, if you want to try, if you've got a, a problem area, give that area a little bit of love. It's a simple tip. Give that area a bit of love, give it positivity, um, and then you can watch it respond. It will respond differently. Mm-hmm. I've heard very similar things from um, kind of a mentor of mine. He's passed now, uh, Baba Ramdas, uh, and he would wake up in like the middle of the night with these aches and pains. If you're familiar with Ramdas, he, he suffered from a stroke and he was uh, succumbed to having to be in a wheelchair for many, many years before he passed. But he would wake up in the middle of the night with these nerve pains in his feet and in his toes. And he said the only way he could get through those things was to, to give those things love, to not mm. fight with them, to not battle them, to, to surrender to them, to let them be, and then to love them and pour like loving compassion on them. And then if, if he experienced discomfort in another area, he would just shift to that area and apply the same practice. And he would slowly be able to get back to sleep or at least have some, uh, some form of, of, of life, you know, while going through all these, these pains and discomforts after the stroke. So, it's really interesting to hear that from you as well, because uh, I don't think a lot of people consider the, the emotional impact. And I don't, think, I don't think a lot of people consider that they have a lot of control over these things themselves. They, they feel they suffer so much from external influences. They don't feel like they can take control of their own reality, their own inner and outer experience in that way and reinforce it with positivity. So it, I think it's really important that uh, you're kind of shedding light on this type of stuff, especially in your practice with, with patients and whatnot. Mm, yeah, and look, and again, so that's another point that comes back to our belief system because so we, you know, in our belief system, you know, we're, we're, we're told and we're taught that we don't necessarily have control. So, you know, when you grow up and you, um, you know, if you get, as soon as you have a sniffle, your mum takes you off to the doctor uh, and, you know, the doctor gives you a pill, like you've just outsourced all of your healing power to some person who's going to give you a, a magic pill that's going to make you better. Um, and so all of your power then goes to that person who's just going to tell you, you know, I'm not saying they're necessarily going to tell you anything bad, but they're going to they're going to tell you what you need give you some magic solution and that kind of removes you from the process and then again to me that's one of the issues that i have say with surgery surgery is often necessary to save your life i would never tell someone not to go and do surgery if that's definitely what's necessary um but we need to always be aware of the impact that surgery has so i think a lot of people sort of if they have a knee issue or a shoulder issue some physical issue then they presume look i'll go and have surgery and i'll get that fixed that will be done 
there's still there's healing that you'll still need to take care of on top of that. So surgery is a trauma. Surgery places a huge traumatic uh, traumatic impact on the body, and then that's something that needs to be healed. And so that's something that I work with again with nociception and working with scars. And I think like a lot of athletes um, that have surgeries, you know, there's there's an impact from that. You, the athletes kind of get away with it for a while because athletes brains are wired in such a way i call them just they have athletes brains means they have a huge degree of movement variability means that you can take muscles away from an athlete and their brain can just figure out how to work their brain can figure out a new way to do things with with reduced capacity so you can you can um, operate you can have a surgical process process on an athlete and that athlete with reduced function when they come out of surgery can just figure out a way to still perform at at a high level for a lot of people a lot of people just can't do that so they just have to operate with reduced function. And what we can do is we can go into the body and we can heal the body. We can heal the trauma that the surgery placed on the body. And then we can get back to get, actually get the full result that we're supposed to get from surgery. Um, so I think it took me a long time to understand that. It took me a long time to understand the words about giving all your power away. You know, give all your power away in healing. I, I heard those words for many, many years before I truly began to understand them. Um, and so I would encourage anybody who hears those words now that doesn't fully understand it, much in the same way that I, that I didn't for a long time, just don't dismiss them. Allow them to just be in your awareness. And at some point, that can really have an impact on you. And you can understand that you actually have this incredible healing ability um and so there are also i would say within that there's plenty that i think we're probably not even meant to understand so what you were saying about your mentor experiencing the pain in his toes and the only way that he could reduce that pain was to go with rather than against that's a huge point there's a huge amount of pain and i see this all the time there's a huge amount of pain in our lives that we just create for ourselves we create we create for ourselves by resisting resisting you can call it what's true resisting what's supposed to be if you know if you want to accept that there's a a perfect plan in the universe if you want to accept that there's always something that's right for you there's always a right option if you want to just allow yourself to be in flow and go with then life can become effortless if you want to try and get to the end point faster well if you speed up then you're creating resistance or if you try and go in a different direction you're creating resistance if your body's trying to process something and you decide to try and fight against it, you're creating resistance. That resistance is probably going to bring you pain. So again, it comes back to the subconscious mind covers 95% of our total brain processing. Conscious mind is only 5%. And the superconscious mind is connected to an infinite field of knowledge and is quite, and is as such limitless. So within that, if we come back to the conscious mind at 5%, if that 5% is connected to part of the mind that is actually limitless and connected to an infinite field of knowledge, it would kind of stand to reason that there, is, there are probably things that we're just not designed to understand consciously. And, and I'm okay with that. So, and if we can be okay with that, then a lot of times we can just step back and say, you know what, I don't understand, but I feel I just need to go with. And that's kind of what your, what your mentor is. It sounds to me like what he's done in healing his own pain. Just go with, send love and things can resolve themselves rather than, what I see from people is people experience pain and then they say, why? I need to understand that. I can't fix it until I understand it. And so, again, that's another huge limiting belief that we have in our society that we can't fix anything, we can't change anything until we understand it. And so, for me, that's something that I see for a lot of people. They place huge limits on themselves and what they can do because they won't allow themselves to have or experience a limitless result unless it's, unless it's been evidenced that that's possible. And if you talk to any neuroscientist, neuroscientists will all tell you that our understanding of the brain has barely scratched the surface. So if we've barely scratched the surface of this incredible organ that we've got in our head, why on earth would we limit ourselves to only that which we've proven that the brain can do? That makes no sense. It makes no sense that we would limit ourselves to only that which we know about. Let's just, uh, for me... Definitely take that information on board. Look at what science has shown us and we can work with that, but let's not put the brakes on to what might be available. So, and, and you can tap into that. You can tap into that just by going, going with. So I think it's a huge point that you've, that you've just tapped on, you've talked on, and it goes back to what we are talking about at the start, about untrue thoughts and false beliefs. And so that's a huge one, the fact that so many people want to have control. We want to try and control everything. Um, and a lot of times it's not about control, it's about surrender. Just surrender, let go and go with. Um, and when you do that, then the mind and the brain can actually execute and can do what 
what they need to. A lot of times, or every single time, the brain knows. You know, there's that network of, of 86 billion neurons in the brain um, connected to an infinite field of knowledge through the superconscious. Um, there's always, always, always an answer to whatever you are experiencing. So if you, and again, this is another one of those cliches that took me a long time to understand, took many years of hearing it, a long time to understand it. But if you can get your ego out of the way, if you can just step out of the way and allow, so that higher intelligence connected to that, what people call the governing field of intelligence in the universe, if you can allow yourself to be connected to that, then essentially you can, there's, there's, in my experience, there's nothing that you can't heal from. And, and I know a huge number of other healers that speak to that. So look to not create resistance in your life. I think that is a huge point. Look to just understand that probably a lot of times we're not actually meant to understand. We're just meant to go with. As amazing as the brain is, there's times when we're just not meant to understand. So just don't block. Don't create resistance. Don't create more pain. Go with and exactly what you're meant to say. Just give love give love and positive emotions and that, that, that is healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is some solid advice. Now, given the fact that, and you kind of just alluded to it, but the fact that we have such limited knowledge when it comes to the, the, the technical, technological capacity and how advanced the brain is, what are your thoughts on things such as Neuralink, which people are mm -hmm. now sort of starting to buzz about? I mean, from my perspective, I'm, I'm not a scientist anyway or anything like that, but from my perspective, it seems uh, a little bit naive to start to jump into some external technology that's being plugged in when the human still has not been able to master their own technology that is that brain and it's still becoming this or it's still like a, an unfolding learning process so i just want to get your take on that from from your perspective and from your field of, of research and study and, and work yeah look and I've, I've had the same thing i've had different people come up to me at, at times and ask me about Neuralink and say like wow look this is going to be amazing it's going to do this it's going to do that it's going to cure depression it's going to cure anxiety it's going to regulate brain waves. it's going to the number of amazing things that I've heard about it, it sounds fantastic. It sounds like it could do amazing things and I don't discount that it probably, that it, that it could. But you have that already. You have that already in, in, in your mind. You have that already in your, in your head. Um, and so, as I said, I, I am someone who gets to exist in that limitless space with people more often and see that from people and I would still say I don't know what's possible. I would say, I'd still say we, we, I haven't seen the full potential of what's available to us. Um, and I think what you just said, again, that like mastery of ourselves, like that we haven't actually achieved mastery, you know, of, of what we have available. So again, that then goes back to those untrue thoughts, false beliefs and giving all your power away. It's like going to the doctor and asking for a pill. It's like, so, well, you know, rather than me go within and explore what I have, which is truly limitless, I'm going to outsource that and I'm going to put a chip in and get a machine to do that for me. And again, to me, that's limiting. You know, I think that's, I think that's, that's actually limiting as, as, and I can understand that people are always looking for a quick fix. And if someone tells you that I can put a chip into your brain and I can cure your anxiety um, or I can cure depression for you, like, okay, I can see that's tempting. Um, I would say what I see from people, I have had plenty of, of, of complex and chronic anxiety and chronic dep depression cases that have resolved in a couple of sessions, you know, and which, shouldn't be possible it shouldn't that shouldn't be possible if you accept everything that the medical paradigm tells us and what we see in in psychologic journals and whatnot um journals of, psych, of psychology that shouldn't be possible but the mind can do that if it can let go what i would say that i see where the limitations are where i find it most challenging with people is it's literally just it literally comes down to how open that person can be to accepting that limitlessness and accepting what might be possible and like getting the ego out of the way, getting the mind out of the way and just allowing. And the people that can allow and just like allow those processes to take over, um, they can get those incredible results in a, in a session or two. Um, and other people who are not able to allow so much, well, that might take a seven, nine or 10 sessions, which is still really, really quick in the grand scheme of things, but it's, it's so much slower than what, than what I see when people can just allow themselves to get out of the way. So with technologies like Neuralink, I think, yeah, 100% we really need to be exploring our own limitlessness and our own capabilities first and understanding that first, understand what we're actually dealing with, understand what we've actually got available to us before we go and tinker with it. To me, it doesn't really make sense to go and tinker with it until we understand that. That said, if it's, life, if it's a life-threatening condition and somebody needs that, it's going to save their life, well, then, 
that's what you do to go and that's what surgery is for and that's what those processes and potentially those devices are for so i think in that in that instance and and again those people that i see that are closed off to those processes and are not prepared to allow well then that's potentially the best option if that's where your if where your belief system lies that that's the only thing that can help you then coming to see someone like myself or you know other other people who can potentially open you up and tap you into that capacity that your brain has if you're not going to be open to that well then you're better off going with the machine you're better off going with wherever your belief system aligns um and again i would say that's something that i see the the congruence within the minds if you can have congruence with your conscious actions and where your subconscious beliefs lie if you're someone who who has gone to the doctor the entirety of your life uh, you always take you know medications you always go and 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 see the doctor for any any small thing um if something big comes along if you get hit with anxiety you get hit with depression um it's going to be a huge shift in your psyche to go and see someone who tells you that you have all the power available you have all the healing that you need within you that's that's a huge shift and it's too much for some people sometimes so in that sense then yeah something like a like a, a neuralink device is probably the best way to go um, because maybe that's a, it's a much easier and, more, and smoother shift than trying to shift your entire belief system. But if your belief system is open and flexible, well, then I'd, I'd encourage you to explore it because what can come out of it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd almost even suggest someone experiment with like um, MDMA or, or psychedelic you know, therapies, uh, even art therapy, sound therapy, all these different things as opposed to maybe trying some piece of technology. Uh, if they are experiencing, you know, any sort of PTSD or anything to that degree, I mean, always consider these all these natural alternatives in a way, as opposed to starting to, you know, getting those surgeries as we've already you know, covered mm. here. Um, so I wanted to just ask you if you have any meditation routine that you, you employ on a day-to-day basis or weekly, or you know, it doesn't have to be sitting cross-legged in a lotus, or you could be walking around the world. Some people just do a walking meditation, but uh, do you have anything you that you practice? Yeah. So I look, meditate every day. Um, I started like a lot of people, I started with guided meditations. Um, you know, I was someone who never thought I could meditate, thought that it was just too hard. You know, and literally every time I sat down, my brain was literally starting to jump around in my head and saying, I want to be doing something else right now. And I think that's, you know, that's everybody's experience. Um, but you know, you, you stick at it and then the benefits are amazing. So it's something that I, you know, look to try and do almost as often as I can. Um, a really, really simple meditation that I like because you need to try, what you're trying to do is you're trying to slow your brain waves down. You're trying to slow your brain waves down and allow them to, be, to get into a more suggestible state. So when you wake up first thing in the morning and your brain hasn't kicked off into, into alpha, it hasn't kicked off into um, higher up into, into beta, beta brainwave patterns, you're more suggestible when you're in a theta brainwave state or even in a delta brainwave state if you can get there in meditation so slowing yourself down really really simple drill that i really really like you can either close your eyes and imagine i like to imagine just blackness or imagine a black dot or a black piece of paper you can just draw a black circle and color it in on a piece of paper and you can stare at that try and count to 10 seconds and have no thoughts and so that is a fantastic exercise because it'll take, it might, if you do it properly, it might take you about an hour to try and achieve it. Um, and initially it might be frustrating, but it really highlights to people just how many random uncontrolled thoughts we're having in a day. And to empty your mind of thought is actually challenging. And to me, that's a real eye opener. Nearly everyone that I've given that to, initially they all cheat. They'll do it in 10 seconds and say, yep, done. Um, and then when I say, look, that, that takes me about an hour to do, um, you know, when I first started doing that, now I can do it a bit more quickly, but that is a really simple drill. Look at blackness, look at a black dot, try and hold no thought. Um, and even when you do it well, you'll find that you start to get to count to seven, count to eight. And then you find yourself thinking, Oh, I haven't had a thought. Don't have a thought. Oh, that's a thought. Okay, start again. So just, and you keep starting again until you can slow the brain waves down. And then once you get down, then you can, um, you can meditate on an intention. So I, I will have an intention for every meditation that I do. Um, and I'll meditate on uh, an intention that, is, that comes from literature. I'll meditate on an intention for something that I want to maintain throughout my day. Um, but a really, really good point, if you're going to meditate first thing in the morning, which is advisable, if you hold an intention hold an intention for your day. And again, this is something that's really, really positive that people can do. And it's not something that people understand so well, but the subconscious mind 
exists without time. The, the, the subconscious mind exists in an eternal present moment. It exists in the now. There's no, other than that, time doesn't exist in the subconscious mind. So if you meditate, like a lot of people do, they'll set a positive affirmation. My day is going to be amazing. My day is going to be beautiful. Well, as far as what you've done in your subconscious mind, you've just created an idea, an intention that at some point, things are going to be beautiful. At some point, my day is going to be amazing. But the subconscious is always existing in the now. So you're never going to get there. You're never going to get to the amazing. So meditate on the present moment. So if I want to make my day amazing, I'll meditate on my day is amazing. Meditate on my day is beautiful. My day is healing. My day is loving. Whatever, it, whatever the intention is that you would like to hold, put that in the present moment. Slow the mind down. Try and remove thought as best you can and allow that intention to sort of take seed within without the noise of thought buzzing and swirling around above it. But that's a really simple and really impactful way to manifest what you're intending. And so the power of intentionality is huge. Most people don't understand fully how powerful that is. Um, but that's a simple way that you can harness it. Just make sure in everything you do, make it present, make it present moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find sometimes I can have that same issue if I try to just focus on not having thought and then I'll catch myself. And I even go through phases of not practicing a meditation and then I'll go back to practicing it. Um, yeah, it is tricky. It's, it's like you have to put it into a routine almost. And then it becomes this natural thing that you do, especially in the morning is a great time. Um, so if you were to give, uh, someone that's listening to this in, in their 20s or even in their 30s, three, three pieces of information, kind of a free takeaway for how they can have a happy, healthy, active brain and sort of carry that with them into a happy, healthy life. Uh, what would be those three main points or takeaways you would, you would suggest to them? Okay. So if you're someone in their 20s, uh, I would say meditation is huge, but maybe but a lot of people in their 20s, um, are just not at that. They're just not there yet. You know, life's every, every, everything wants to be fast and we want to, you know, we want to try and push, push the pace of things. So if you're in your twenties and you're prepared to meditate, then definitely explore that. If you're not, then I would say always look for, look for sunlight. So look for natural light. Those routines of just getting up in the morning and seeing, seeing the sun first thing in the morning, that is actually huge with globalization and people moving around we have all these different rhythms in the body. So we have the circadian rhythm, which everybody knows about. That's your 24-hour daily cycle. But we have untold other numbers of, of rhythms that attract within the body. There are shorter rhythms and there are longer rhythms. We actually have seasonal and circannual rhythms. And so if you're from the Northern Hemisphere, I'm from the Southern Hemisphere, there are seasonal rhythms. You're, if, if, you have, if you were born there and your parents were born where you, you know, in, in, in that hemisphere, your seasonal rhythms will be going into, into autumn right now in, and my seasonal rhythms will be going into springtime. Now, I have seen people who've lived here in Australia for 50 years, born in the Northern Hemisphere, and they're still on that seasonal rhythm. I have seen on that, on that Northern Hemisphere seasonal rhythm, I have seen people who were born here but they, their mother was pregnant um, and sh- when their mother was pregnant shortly before they were born, mother <laughs> Mother was pregnant and arrived here in Australia shortly before they were born. Um, and they have her, they still have her seasonal rhythm 40 years later. Um, I'm one of those people, but that didn't happen to me because I used to be an athlete and I used to get out and I would be running every single day. Of, I would be running first thing in the morning every single day of the week. Um, my sisters were exactly the same. Um, and there's very few people like that that actually get out and see the sun first thing um, every morning. I think it takes a long time to actually overturn those, those seasonal and circannual rhythms. So getting out and seeing the sunlight, see all progressions, see all, um, get all spectrums of sunlight progressively. That's actually a huge thing. When we talk about skin cancer, we're designed to be able to tolerate far more sunlight than, than what we're told. Um, it's not wrong that we're told that we need to get out of the, out of the sunshine because it's having a damaging effect. That's, that's actually true. But the reason that that's happening is because we're not getting out and seeing all spectrums progressively. And there are processes within the body that literally um, increase the level of protection that we have and, are re- and we, can, we, we build a resistance to that sunlight. So we can exist in, in, the, sun, in the sunlight for far longer. So, and again, coming back to that communication in the body, being biophotonic, the light that you get, the type of light that you get has a huge impact. So sunlight, I would say number one. Movement, number two. One key, one key point that I'm always talking about is on average, 
on average, for every one afferent signal, that's a sensory signal that travels from the body back up to the cortex, for every one signal that travels up, there are 30 efferent signals that travel down. So if I move in a different way, that sends a new or different afferent signal back to the brain. If the brain's going to maintain that 30 to 1 ratio or there or thereabouts, then that's going to light up different areas of the brain as the brain attempts to understand what that new stimulus is. So going to the gym and just pumping iron and doing bicep curls and, you know, and, and, and moving in one linear, one linear plane of movement um, can make you look good, but it's not exciting to the brain. It doesn't, it, it doesn't excite the brain. What the brain will basically do is look at the movement of a bicep curl and they're like, okay, well, I know what that is. I've got a program for that. I'll just run that. And physically, you can feel like you're working hard, but you're not changing a whole lot. So moving in complex patterns, um, if you're not sure what complex patterns are, sports or pursuits like gymnastics, martial arts and dance will produce basically sort of the most high-functioning high brains. So if you're a parent, you're looking to get your kids into different types of movement, gymnastics, martial arts and dance are fantastic modalities to get into. And then once they have a base in those things and the brain is wired to all of this connectivity and the brain is wired to that degree and level of movement, that level of function, well, then you can go and do whatever sport you want at that point. So, um, and if you look at some of the, some of the best athletes, if, if you're aware of boxing, so Vasil Lomachenko, who people say is like, he's like the, the matrix and he is a Ukrainian boxer who is absolutely amazing told his father at a young age he wanted to, wanted to do boxing. His father said, no, not yet. First, go and dance. Made him go and do Ukra Ukrainian traditional dancing for a couple of years. Um, and then once he'd learned how to dance, then, okay, you can come back and you can box. Um, and his nervous system is on a completely different level. And I'm, look, I'm sure he is gifted, but you can't discount the fact that he's gone um, and built his nervous system around this complex level of movement first. And the, and the thing with dance is it overlays tempo which makes your cerebellum pay attention way more. And then that has to refine the movement further to a specific timing pattern. So sunlight, I would say movement. Um, and then so beyond that, there's obviously there's nutrition as well. There's, um, there's meditation that we talked about. Nutrition is huge. If you can just, if you can work with, like we said, look to eat seasonally, look to eat the, um, look to eat the foods that come from your latitude, look to eat whole foods, look to eat organic all of that stuff has a huge, has a huge impact um, on the body. But, yeah, so movement, meditation if you're up for it, nutrition um, and sunlight, absolutely. You know, I've never correlated the, the movement side of things like the dance and everything with the other sports. I've never really correlated the two. The, the way you just put it kind of made it very clear for me. A lot of people, I played football growing up, a lot of people did dance before football. And it was this really interesting thing and often the kids would get made fun of because they're doing the dance. But it... it it makes sense how it would carry over. And then I did uh, Taekwondo for 10 years. And from mm. there, I uh, transitioned into powerlifting, um, you know, not too long ago, actually. I've only been doing powerlifting about seven years now. Um, but I went from this dynamic movement to the static movement. But I felt that uh, my progression in powerlifting was pretty good. Uh, and my nervous system recovery was pretty good. But I never really put the two together that, you know, somehow the martial arts and, and the movement patterns there would have carried over to this, you know, nervous system focused strength training but uh, it's really interesting to kind of contemplate that as you were speaking i was just thinking wow you know i guess that that would make sense i felt uh but when i do powerlifting i do the static movements it feels exactly like what you said it's like i know how to run that program especially because i've done the you know a deadlift movement or a squat movement you know ten thousand times or more it's like i just hit that switch and i just run that movement it's not overly exciting for me in the, in the dynamic sense of, of doing some sort of you know roundhouse kick or jumping in the air and breaking something or something like that. Those things tend to excite me a little bit more. Um, you know, I do get the hits of, of uh, I'm sure, a dopamine or serotonin or whatever with the deadlifting and mm. everything like that um, and the adrenaline rush. But um, so there's something really interesting about that, that movement, you know, the, uh, be it dance or be it uh, uh, martial arts or anything you kind of just mentioned there, uh, gymnastics. Um, it, it's something I've come to, to respect a lot more, I, I guess, as I've, as I've grown older and seen how it connects with, with the other things. So, Mm. Yeah. I, I would just, I'd, I'd add to that really quickly. So exactly what you just talked about. So with focused attention and complex movement, so complex movement is movement flow. So that's something that's really popular these, these days, like the Edo Portal method and people doing movement flow. I love that stuff. I think it's amazing. Uh, and when you give it to people, it really highlights deficits. If you give someone a movement flow routine that they've never seen before and they've never done a lot of that stuff, 
you'll see that person looking at what you just did. You'll see them looking at your demonstration and it's literally, it's a foreign language in movement. Like you can see that brain is just 100% not understanding. And, and the words that you'll get back is I, I, I don't even know where to start with that. I, I literally don't even know where to start because the, the brain has just not understood a single thing that it's seen because the movement's so complex. Now, with focused attention and movement, so that movement flow, martial arts, dance, um, and gymnastics, other movement modalities similar, you can create up to 1.8 million new connections every second, new neural connections, so new synaptic connections every single second. So something that I used to say in movement to clients was that's close to 100 million new connections a minute. We need to go for the 100 million. I need, you, we, I need you to give me everything. I need you to really switch on and we need to try and get that 100 million. Now, a brain that's paying attention is a brain that can experience change. So if you're trying to change something, if you're trying to improve the way that you're, you're going and you're just running and if you're trying to improve strength output or you're trying to improve movement quality, if, you're just, if your brain is just running that automated program that you're saying for a squat or for a deadlift, then it's not looking to change anything. It's just looking to run the same program because as far as the brain's concerned, it already knows how to do that. Okay. You can increase effort, but it's not going to look to try and it's not going to look to try and find new muscle fibers to try and pull into the process. It's not going to look to see if it can, if it can integrate um, different systems, different muscles, different, um, the different muscle systems within the body. Um, to, if it's not, it's not looking to increase muscle synergy to increase strength. It's not looking to change anything on a systemic level. What you can do is, and this is something that we do in AMN, is we just have neurologic warm-ups. So you can roll and you can bounce and you can jump. And so within AMN, they've got a fantastic um, uh, movement warm-up system. And it's like, it's like five minutes and it just covers all, uh, it covers all of these different functional neurologic um, stimulations. And so you're firing all these different reflexes in the body. And what I get from people when I do that and other things similar is I'll get people just saying like, whoa, I feel really awake. I feel really alive. And the brain's paying attention at that point. So then once that brain is stimulated and awake, then when you say, okay, right, now we're going to tweak your deadlift a little bit, or now we're going to look for something a little bit different. Now the brain's looking to pay attention. It's looking to try and figure out what it needs to do. It's looking to try and solve your movement challenge that you're about to throw at it. So something that you could do, if you've got a Taekwondo background, go and throw some kicks around, go and throw some kicks, roll, jump, move, do, incorporate that into part of your warm-up. So move in those complex ways, move in those complex dynamic ways safely and then go and look and again, progress through your warm-up as normal, make sure you work safely, but then go and you can get into your strength work after that. And if you're looking to try and get to a higher level, if you're looking to try and integrate a slightly changed movement or something different that the brain's going to need to figure out, it will do way better for you when it's paying attention than when it's just looking to run that automated program. And so those those complex movements and those dynamic movements in warm-up are a really, really important and really, really great way to go about it. Mm, I, I will give that a try because I like my typical warm-up is performing the exact same movement at a lower weight and then just working mm. up to the heavier weight. And you know, the, my brain is basically telling me that the, at the lighter weight, it's the same as the heavier weight on the bar. So for me, you know, a 135 deadlift is supposed to be the same as a 600 deadlift. So it's just like, it's supposed to be the same way up the movement and everything. So I, I find mm. it does get a little bit like boring and rigid. So I'll, I'll try doing more like a dynamic rolling type of, cause I love doing that stuff. I love just rolling mm. around uh, and flipping through the air and all sorts of stuff. But like, it seems over the years I've progressively slowed down with doing that. Um, I don't know why, but I, I think I need to get back to it. It just, it calls me. So um, thank you for the reminder on that. Anyways, I'll, I'll definitely, <laughs> definitely apply that. Um, so where can people find you if they want more information about what you're doing or if they want to reach out, if they have any questions uh, or, you know, just want to follow up on this podcast? Yeah. So look, so I am, so the brain guy uh, on Instagram, the dot brain dot guy, uh, the brain guy.co website, the brain guy on, uh, on, on Facebook. And I'm con I'm contactable through all those, all those platforms. So um, yeah, I'm probably most, most active and most busy on Instagram, um, but always available. Very cool. Yeah, I'd love to have a chat again. I'm sure there's a lot we can get into. I know I, I did have more questions too that, uh, you know, maybe we, I can push to another uh, discussion, yeah. but this will be great. I think people will really appreciate it. So if anyone is watching or listening to this and, and wants to reach out to Scott, uh, please do so. I'm sure he's more than happy to help. Uh, I know it's a lot for me to take in. And uh, if anyone's listening to this as well or watching, there's going to be some links down in the description below to Scott's social media and his website and everything. Uh, so you can delve down deeper with that. Uh, but otherwise, thank you, Scott, for taking this time. I really appreciate it. I think it's elevating to have these conversations for people. And it, 
and really explore and examine these, these type of concepts and ideas because it's not something they encounter in their day to day life, unfortunately. So um, thank you again for taking this time and for having this chat. No, thank you for having me. It's been it's really, really cool to get to have the chat. Uh, and any ch- time we get to try and expand awareness, you know, elevate, elevate the level of consciousness that people are, people are able to exist at and experience, then that's a really, really positive thing. So I, I've really enjoyed the chat and, yeah, hopefully we'll get to do it again in the future. Perfect. Thank you. Take care.